Hi everyone. Welcome to that time again. Sports and shorts of sorts. I'm Renny, Ren City Riquet. Let's do what we do every other episode. Jump right into our jersey segment. Um, when I think of the number 38, <clears throat> excuse me, for a jersey, I could definitely think of more baseball players than any other sport. And uh, that's where we'll start. First major leaguer I'll mention was one of the best pitchers of his generation and a real asshole, depending who you talk to, apparently. I'm talking about Kurt Schilling. He'd make six all-star games over his career, lead the MLB in wins two different occasions, strikeouts once, led the Phillies to the 93 World Series, but ended up losing to the Toronto Blue Jays as they won back-to-back there. Schilling would return to the World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001, and he'd win it this time, teaming up with Randy Johnson. That was an insane one-two punch. They'd end up splitting the World Series MVP, which is pretty wild. Then Schilling would move on to the Red Sox, where he'd be part of that team that broke the curse of the Gambino, the Bambino, not Gambino. We're not talking mafia here. Curse of the Bambino, and guide the Red Sox to their first day, first World Series win in 86 years. And during that run, Schilling had an injury on his ankle that it was such a bad ankle injury, you could see the blood soaking through the sock. And uh, yeah, during, throughout the ALDS and CS, Schilling would have to get treatment on that tendon, now known as the Schilling t- t- Tendon Procedure. And his second bloodied sock that he wore in the ALCS on the way to the World Series is actually on display in the Baseball Hall of Fame, so that's wild. He'd win another ring in 2007 with the Red Sox, So, and he's an elusive member of that 3,000 strikeout club. He sits 17th all time. He has the highest strikeout-to-walk ratio of inactive members. Three seasons, he surpassed 300 strikeouts, and despite all those great numbers, Schilling is still not in the Hall of Fame. But it's not due to PEDs or anything. It's his character. Like I said, the guy's kind of an asshole. But I I don't want to sound like a douchebag here, but if you can have Ty Cobb in the Hall of Fame, look up what Ty Cobb did. There's You have you should be able to have Kurt Schilling because some of the shit Ty Cobb did was very much illegal and quite racist. So <laughs> going from there, we'll go to another pitcher, this time a reliever, Montreal-born Eric Gagne. He's originally a starting pitcher, but, you know, he's converted to a reliever, and he thrived. He made three all-star games. He even won the NL Cy Young in 2003 when he led the league in saves at 55. A nationally record he shared with John Smoltz. He also won the Relief Man of the Award two years straight. During that time, he set a record for most consecutive save opportunities converted with 84. So that's, that's ridiculous. He was automatic. His best years were as a Dodger, but he played with the Rangers, Red Sox, and Brewers, even though he wasn't the same guy in L.A. He was a member of that Red Sox team with Schilling in 07, but he had to wear 83 because, yeah, Kurt Schilling was wearing 38. So despite his great numbers, he's always going to have that asterisk next to his name. He was included in that Mitchell report, you know, where they were talking about the, the findings of people with HGH. He's come out and expressed remorse for what he's done, but he admitted to using HGH. It was to recover from a knee injury, though. A lot of people are going to remember Gagne for his PED use, but at one point, this pitcher with the big glasses, you know, he was automatic and one of the most feared closers in the game. Um, Next pitcher I'll mention is another reliever, Rick Aguilera. Started with the Mets like uh, Gagne did as a starting pitcher, but he'd be moved to relief and, you know, some injuries hit to Aguilera. Excuse me, Aguilera, and he had to play relief pitcher and... He excelled. Like I said, he still wanted to be a starter. 
and he'd get moved to the Twins where they'd start him, but they'd be like, you know what, we're going to move you to closer. And again, he thrived. He didn't want to be a closer, but he was a good closer. He'd help the Twins win the 91 World Series. He'd always play. He'd also play with the Red Sox and Cubs. And he's 24th all time in career saves with 318. And another relief pitcher, relief pitcher is a 38, Todd Worrell. He played with the St. Louis Cardinals and Dodgers over his career. Another guy expected to start, but he'd be called up to for as a reliever for the 1985 playoff race when the Cardinals would make the World Series. And he'd tie a World Series record by striking out six consecutive hitters. That's pretty wild. They'd lose to the, the Royals in that World Series. But Whirl was still considered a rookie the following year and won Rookie of the Year because, you know, he was called up late for that playoff run. But, yeah, he'd lead the National League in 36 saves. He'd make three All-Star games, lead the NL in saves one more time as a Dodger, and he sits 37th in the all-time saves list with 256. Um, another pitcher here, going back to the starting rotation, number 38, former Chicago Cub, Carlos Zelbrano. El Toro spent his entire career with the Cubs. Other than his last season where he'd go with the Marlins, wasn't really much there. But make three all-star games, three silver sluggers. He was one of the best hitting pitchers back in his day. And not Shohei Otani by any means, but he was a good hitting pitcher. He lead the NL and wins in 2006, becoming the first player from Venezuela to do so. And he even had a no-hitter in 2008 against the Astros. A lot of people still love him there in Chicago. Last baseball mention is another current, well, this one's a current pitcher, Robbie Ray. He's playing with Seattle Mariners. He's rocked the 38, and like everywhere he's gone, the Tigers, Diamondbacks, Blue Jays, made an all-star game with the Diamondbacks, but his best year by far was with the Blue Jays in 2021, where he won AL Cy Young while leading the AL in ERA and MLB in strikeouts. Uh, He'd leave the Seattle the following season, where he currently plays now, but Leaving the diamond for the hockey rink. Next mention, a guy that was taken way too soon here. I'm talking about Pavel Dimitra. The Slovakian player is most remembered as his time with St. Louis Blues. Even though he played with the Senators, Kings, Wild, and Canucks. Make three All-Star games and won the Lady Bing in 2000. Uh, most, like I said, did most of his damage with the Blues, where he sits fifth all-time on their scoring list. And uh, he was very involved with the Slovakian national team, where they even retired his number. His numbers also were retired with the Slovakian side, Duke Litrensen. Both retirements came posthumous as Dmitry passed away in that plane crash. Him and his locomotive Yaroslav teammates, they were on their way to Minsk for a hockey game and the plane went down. It was such a brutal story. It's almost for that that happens. Time flies so long. But he was only 36 years old. That's how old I am. Oh, my goodness. So sad. Gone too soon. Uh Going to the NBA, there was a lot to choose from. I, I couldn't think of anything, and I had to do some research. We have one thirty-eight, one decent 38 in the NBA right now. Saban Lee, he's on a two-way contract with the Suns. He's had some decent minutes here and there. 24-year-old could help out down the road, you know, never know. But, uh, yeah, like I said, not a lot in the NBA there. Going to the NFL, not a lot of names that jump out to you. The biggest name, I guess, that were 38, Arnie Herber. Yeah, not a household name, but he was one of the first superstar quarterbacks of the league. More importantly, a Green Bay Packer. We don't have a lot of stats on the first two years of his career because they didn't start keeping stats until 32. But once they did, you could see how good he was. He'd lead the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns three different times. He won four NFL champions with championships with the Packers. That was before the Super Bowl was around. He'd retire after 11 seasons and then come out of retirement – 
to a war depleted NFL in 44. He'd suit up where the for the Giants where he'd make the title game against his old team, the Packers, where he'd lose to the Packers. But he was inducted into the Hall of Fame way back in 66. He's also a member of the Packers Hall of Fame. Another football mention, number 38, Green Bay Packer. I'm talking Tremont Williams. He donned the 25 in Arizona and 22 in Cleveland. But Williams was the man in Green Bay. He was undrafted coming in the NFL out of Louisiana Tech. Make the Packers practice squad before earning his way into the lineup, starting as a returner, working his way onto the defense. Perfect nickel defensive back to go along with Charles Woodson, Al Harris, before he'd eventually take Harris's spot on the outside. But 2010, he'd make his only Pro Bowl, and uh, later that season, he'd be part of the Packers' Super Bowl winning team that beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, last year, as he mentioned, this is a current NFL player, a running back for the New England Patriots, Ramondre Stevenson. He played at Cerritos College for two years before transferring to Oklahoma and doing great there, being the MVP of the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma State. He got drafted in the fourth round by the Pats, so you didn't know what to expect from him, but he's been a pretty good back in the NFL, and you may hear from him later in this episode. Not actually. I'm not bringing him on the show. I shouldn't have hyped with that, but I, I'll mention him again later. <laughs> But yeah, jumping into the wild sports week that was um, in the time machine back to last Monday. We had the Kelsey Bowl between the Chiefs and the Eagles, a rematch of the last year's Super Bowl. KC would have chances to win it, but too many wide receiver drops would lead, you know, to the Eagles winning. <laughs> we had Thanksgiving games gobble gobble to American people watching. If you're in the states, dope. Uh, Green Bay and Detroit. I was a little unsure about my Packers in this one. You know, the lines looked really good. Packers would get a six start when Love would hit Jaden Reed for a touchdown, but Sam Laporta would answer with one of his own. But Love was dishing out touchdowns. He'd hit Kraft, and then the defense would get one when Simone Biles' husband, Jonathan Owens, returned a fumble to pay dirt. In the second half, Montgomery would get one back for the Lions, but Jordan Love's third, third touchdown pass of the game when he'd hit Christian Watson. Goff would hit Reynolds late, but it would be too little, too late. Packers win. Big Thanksgiving win over their rivals, the Lions, who have been really good most of the season here. Then you had the Washington Commanders and the Cowboys. This Thanksgiving classic. You had Dak getting started early, hitting Dowdle for a touchdown pass. You did Brandon Cooks for a touchdown pass. Sam Howell would answer with his own touchdown run, but then you'd have Tony Pollard getting another touchdown. So, the Cowboys were rolling. We have a quiet third quarter, but then the Cowboys would just go nuts in the fourth. Dak would hit Lamb for a touchdown. Then Dak would hit his fourth touchdown of the game, the Cavante Turpin. And then history would get made when uh, Sam Howell's pass would get intercepted by Deron Bland. And I've talked about it on the show before. He was tied for interception, well, pick sixes in one season at four. He'd make this pick. He'd return it all the way to the end zone. Most pick sixes in one NFL season, and he's done it in week 12. Jim Nance was making the call. You couldn't have anyone better doing it. As he made the catch, Nance was already hyping it up. It had you on the edge of your seats. Like it's, You don't usually get that in a blowout game, so that was nice. So, like, Yeah, because the Cowboys crushed Washington. It was bad. But that play, whew, goosebumps on that one. And the 49ers and the Seahawks, another divisional game, and this 49ers train is still rolling. Seahawks couldn't stop it. Debo would score. Then Christian McCaffrey would get two touchdowns in the second quarter. Second half, the Seahawks defense got one when Brooks picked off a tip pass by Brock Purdy and took it to the end zone. But then Purdy would just hit Ayuk for another touchdown, and 
yeah, there's your game, 31-13, San Francisco. They've, they've looking like they're getting healthy and starting to look like the San Francisco team we expected. Like my Super Bowl pick. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. It's still early. We had our first ever Black Friday game, thanks to the people of Amazon there. Another division game between the Dolphins and the Jets. And the Jets' defense was playing pretty tough, you know. Tim Boyle was getting his first start for the Jets. And uh, their offense continued to struggle. Tua would hit Tyreek Hill for the first touchdown of the game. And the Dolphins were looking to get some more points before halftime. But Tua, bad throw. To, and Brandon Eagles would intercept it and return it to Pater. You have a 10-6 game. The Jets would quickly get it back. And they're like, hey, we can get some more points here. They try to hail Mary. Boyle tossed it deep. Canadian Javon Holland would make the interception and return it the other way. Oh, my goodness. A pick six Hail Mary. They're calling it the Fail Mary, which fits right in with the Jets and their butt fumble. These plays just happen to the Jets, I'm telling you. <laughs> Mostert would get a touchdown in the second half. Garrett Wilson would answer that. Boyle, nice touchdown for his stats there. But Mostert would bust another touchdown out. 34-13, Black Friday win, black eye on Jets fans around the country and the world. You'd have Sunday football, Bucks and Colts. Uh, Baker Mayfield was looking to get the Bucks rolling. He'd throw an early interception to set up a Jonathan Taylor touchdown. Then you'd have Gardner Minshew for the Colts dashing into the end zone and doing a little shimmy after. But Tampa Bay would answer with Mike Evans get a touchdown pass after some miscommunication left him wide open. And then Baker would hit Evans again for their second connection of the game to make it a three-point game where the Colts would go on a crushing drive, a Buccaneers crushing drive capped off with a Jonathan Taylor t- touchdown. And then Mayfield would try to tie it late. He'd get strip-sacked and Colts would run the game out. Big win for the Colts. They move above five hundred. Buccaneers, as low as their standing or as their record is, are still alive in that awful division they're in. We'll get more to that division as we go here. Patriots and Giants. Giants would take advantage of a bad Mac Jones interception, and DeVito would hit Hodgson's on a short throw. He's a nice stiff arm to get in the end zone, so the Pats would be up. It was a brutal first half for Mac Jones, so he'd be benched again. Fourth time this season he's benched. Zap Daddy Bailey Zappy would come in and it must have inspired the Patriots. Zappy let them led them down the field for as who we mentioned earlier in this episode, Ramondre Stevenson would run a touchdown in, tie the game up. Giants would go ahead with a field goal. Zappy would lead the Patriots down the field. Nice little chip shop range for Chad Ryland, the rookie kicker, but he missed the kick to force OT. Just, oh, a devastating loss on a brutal season for the Patriots. Off to the worst start in their history since 1992. They're the only team over the last 30 seasons to lose back-to-back games while allowing 10 points or fewer. That is that is embarrassing right there. And this is, is this how Belichick goes out? Oh, it can't be. It can't be. But anyway, huge win for DeVito and the Giants. So when he's scoring and he's showing off the A, the Italian celebration, and you could see his dad in the crowd, dude. What a cool thing. You know, bad year for the Giants. It's a cool thing for them. If you can score 10 points and win the NFL, I don't know. It's something. A win's a win, no matter how small. But anyway, I think Dr. Seuss said that. Something like that. You had Steelers and Bengals, and there was big news coming in before this game. You had the dismissal of offensive coordinator Matt Canada. I was asking who's going to go first, him or Pickett. Obviously, the coordinator. This offense has struggled for way too long. A lot of players are going public with frustrations. 
much like the South Park movie, they blame Canada. Jake Browning would start a quarterback for Joe Burrow and needed sample for the touchdown pass, but the Bengals up early. The Steelers would come back. They take lead in the third quarter when Najee Harris would run in a touchdown. Steelers would add some extra field goals. Nah, they take 16-10 win. Big win for the Steelers. They went over 400 yards for the first time since week two in 2020. A 58-game drought. All it took was firing Mad Canada. So, yeah, I guess you can blame Canada. But uh, lots of positivity coming out of Pittsburgh right now following this big divisional win. I know Burrow was hurt. That's still a big win for the Steelers coming off. Yeah, another bad offensive game with Canada. But, yeah, we'll see what they can do the rest of the season. It's all on picket now. Um, Panthers and Titans, you had two young quarterbacks going at it. Bryce Young going up against Will Levis. The big man, Derrick Henry, would punch in the touchdown to cap off a long drive, giving the Titans an early lead. Young would get sacked and fumble in his uh, own end, giving Titans the ball where big man Derrick Henry would pound it in again. And then, you know, it would be looking kind of dire for the Panthers. They'd go for own fourth down. Chuba Hubbard would run it in, reduce the lead to 17-10, but that's as close as it would get. Tennessee hold on for the win, give the Panthers another loss. They're 1-10 in 10 now on the season. Still a rough go for Bryce Young. They showed his parents in the crowd. None of them were in Carolina gear. It was all Alabama gear. You know, back when he was win games, uh, but man, a lot of a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of good quarterbacks had really bad rookie seasons. Google Peyton Manning's rookie numbers, you know. I'm not saying Bryce Young's Peyton Manning, but you know, sometimes you gotta take your lumps before you can hit that next level. I mean the team around him isn't very good right now, but we'll see what happens. As long as his confidence doesn't get shaken. Going to the number two pick, we had a great battle in the AFC South between the Jaguars and the Texans. You had Trevor Lawrence of the Jaguars, and like I said, the number two overall pick, C.J. Stroud. Lawrence had started off early by getting uh, punching one in for a rushing touchdown, but C.J. Stroud would scramble around and hit fellow rookie Tank Dell for a touchdown pass. And then just before halftime, you had some wild events here. Texans kicker Matt Amendola would miss a 50-yarder making him 0-4 in his career on 50 yarders or longer. So that would give, you know, the Jaguars some decent field position. They'd sky one the Christian Kirk. He'd get pushed out at the one-yard line with one second left in the half. So you're like, okay, to hit the field goal. Uh-uh, Doug Peterson's like, we're going to punch this in before halftime. Texans had other ideas. Travis Etienne was stopped at the line. So going into the halftime, Texans had this momentum, and they'd, They'd go down the field. C.J. Stroud would run it in, putting the Texans ahead. But then the Jags would answer. Lawrence would hit Calvin Ridley for a touchdown. Jags are up. Then Stroud would answer again, this time to Nico Collins, but they'd be down three points at this game. At this point. Then the Texans would need some more late-game magic, you know, which is Stroud has done for them. But they'd struggle to get down the field and only set up a 58-yarder for Amendola. And like I said, he hasn't hit a 50-yarder in his career. He hit it. It looked straight. It looked good. Doink! Right off the upright. The bottom upright there. Oh, my goodness. Truly a game of inches. You know, this was an entertaining game. Big win for the Jaguars. They distanced themselves a bit from the Texans and Colts in their division, but... Wow, what a game. <laughs> then you go to the Saints and Falcons. Not so much a game. Late in the first quarter, the Saints were moving it, and then Derek Carr would get intercepted by Jesse Bates. He would run it all the way back for a touchdown, putting the Falcons up. The Falcons would double their lead when Mustard Man B. John Robinson would run it into the end zone for a touchdown. 
Saints would answer with some field goals, and then Desmond Ritter would hit Bijan Robinson for another touchdown pass. Falcons held on to the win. It's amazing how well they do when they actually involve Bijan Robinson. And I mean, Ritter, he threw some bad interceptions in this one, but despite that, the Falcons triumph and they take the division lead. Yeah, they lead the division under 500. That's what I mean when I mentioned the Buccaneers earlier. Four and seven, the Buccaneers are still very well in that division. (laughs) Hell, if the Carolina Panthers go on a run, who knows what could happen. I don't see it, but wow, tough division. Well, not a tough division. (laughs) Rams, Cardinals, this one, uh, you and Matthew Stafford hitting Tyler Higby on the opening drive. First tight end touchdown of the season for the Rams. Cardinals would answer right away when Kyler Murray would run one into the end zone. Rams would get a penalty on the extra point, so the Cards would get a two-point. They're like, damn, we up 8-7. And then the Rams would go right down the field, and Stafford the Higby. They went from zero tight end touchdowns to two in one half. And then Stafford would hit Kieran Williams for his third touchdown of the half. I had to pick up a quarterback because I had Burrow, I have Rodgers, I have Daniel Jones. I I had Matthew Stafford. He almost had me win a game. I, I lost it because of bad managing, but we'll get to that when I get to the people involved. But, uh, yeah, early in the fourth, Williams would run in another touchdown. The Rams were just killing him. Royce Freeman, the backup running back, would run one in. Dorch would catch a touchdown pass from Murray and did, like, the too small celebration. I don't know if you can do that when you're down that bad, but this was all Rams after the first two touchdowns were exchanged. They never looked back and took the easy one against Arizona. Browns and Broncos. This one was pretty pretty interesting. The Broncos would start the game early going right down the field and giving Piran the ball for the touchdown. Then Russell, last name Wilson, would double the lead when he'd run one into the end zone. And Browns would do what they do best, hit some field goals and make it a game before DTR would hit Harrison Bryant in the third quarter. They'd miss the two-point conversion, so it would be a two-point game. Adam Troutman would get called out of bounds on his end zone reception, but they challenged the call. It'd be overturned. Another touchdown pass for Russell Wilson. DTR would get knocked out of the game on a personal foul hit. They showed him on the bench. He's just blood coming out of his mouth. It was pretty wild. So they bring in P.J. Walker. Things wouldn't really go well for him. You'd have more Browns getting injured. Miles Garrett got an injury. Hopefully it's nothing serious on him. Walker would try to lead a comeback late, coming out of his own end zone, but he'd get sacked for a safety, making it 29-12, and that's how it would end. The first 29-12 final score in NFL history, another score agami. It's always interesting when you get an original score that has never happened, so it's another one you can check off. Broncos looking really good right now. Russ is cooking, fourth win in a row, hottest team in the NFL. That's why I'm rocking this bad boy right now. Um, Bills and Eagles, this one would be very crazy. Eagles would start, you know, going down to the one-yard line, and you know what would be coming. A brotherly shove, push, tush, call it what you want. It works. Hurt scored. <laughs> Eagles up. Bills would hit a field goal before Josh Allen would run one in out of his zone when they put the Bills ahead. And then huge twist before the Bills before halftime. Like, that was just a theme on Sunday. But the Bills were looking for a touchdown before halftime. Few things didn't go their way. Josh Allen was taken down outside the pocket. It's clear horse collar. Gene Steratore was like, "Yeah, man, that's a horse collar." No call. Instead, they said because he tried to throw it, it's intentional grounding. So they lose it down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, next play is incomplete, so they have to go for a field goal. Rookie Jalen Carter blocks it. 
They're like, what is going on? Karma would kick in because as the Eagles were going down the score, they'd fumble it. Josh Allen would then throw a strike to Diggs for a touchdown. So it did work out for the Bills. They went up 17-7 going in the half. Then you'd have more missed field goals by the Bills. Eagles would go right down and Hertz would hit Brown for a touchdown pass. Buffalo would answer when Josh Allen showed off those legs, flashing pump fakes and pump fakes as he runs into the end zone. It's third touchdown of the game, second rushing. The Eagles, they'd answer again. Hertz would hit Devontae Smith to make it a three-point game. And then Josh Allen, tell him if you heard this before, threw a bad interception. This time is eighth straight game with an interception. This would immediately lead to Hertz hitting Zacchaeus for a go-ahead touchdown pass, but... Bills would respond nicely, you know. They'd methodically go on the field. Allen would hit Gabe Davis, put them up three points with a minute 52. Looked like they had it, especially since the Eagles were struggling to go down the field, getting bad penalties. Travis, or, sorry, Jason Kelsey getting two big penalties on that one. So they didn't leave Elliott with a good chance. Jake Elliott had a 59-yarder to tie the game and force the overtime, and Talk about clutch. He nailed it. It was pretty amazing. Bills would win the toss, go down the field, and there'd be confusion between Allen and Davis. Davis would go outside. Allen expected him inside. Incomplete pass. This time they'd hit a field goal, but they'd have to send it back to the Eagles. And you know what Hurts was going to do? It hurts so good. He'd go down the field, and he'd cap it off by quarterback draw right into the end zone. Walk-off touchdown, amazing game, making Josh Allen remain winless in overtime. He's now 0-6 in overtime. So in a debate who you'd rather have, Allen and Hurts, I'm leaning towards Hurts for sure. This was an amazing game, though, and a very weird moment because it was the last game on during the Red Zone broadcast, and you could hear alarms going off. And Scott Hansen was like, this is the first on Red Zone, but we have to evacuate the building. You could still hear the alarm going. And then Scott Hansen came back. You could still hear the alarm going, and he's like, you know what? They said I'm safe to be in here to finish the show, so let's finish it. Social media obviously took off with this. You have the Titanic ship with the musicians playing as it's going down here's scott hansen it's you know dedicated kudos to you sir you gotta love it in the red zone another game chiefs and raiders there aiden o'connell started off by hitting jacoby murray jacoby myers early for a touchdown and then josh jacobs would bust a 63 yard touchdown raiders up 14 nothing right looking good Isaiah Pacheco would punch one in for kansas city and then mahomes would hit watson to tie it up going in the halftime Mahomes rode that momentum and hit Pacheco on another touchdown run before Mahomes would throw a touchdown pass. This time, the Rice, who did a lot of work after catching the ball, but he brought it in the end zone. Chiefs bounced back from a bad Monday night football loss to beat their division foes, the Raiders. They looked really good in the second half on that one. Ravens and Chargers, this was an interesting one. Ravens would get the first touchdown of the game when Lamar Jackson would hit Zay Flowers for a touchdown. Tried a fancy celebration, but Lamar Jackson, you could see him on the bench like, I don't know what you're doing, man. And, uh, yeah, he does some Justin Tucker field goals and a missed Justin Tucker field goal. You don't see that often. Then the Chargers would finally score a touchdown late in the game in the fourth quarter when Gerald Everett would get the pass from uh, Justin Herbert, make it a three-point game, but then Zay Flowers would bust a long run, capping or really sealing the game for the Ravens, and he'd – do a nice little celebration where you take a penalty and score and do the Cristiano Ronaldo Sue celebration. 
But man, another brutal loss for the Chargers. It's kind of what they do. They drop to four and seven. Ravens lead the AFC North at nine and three. That leaves a Monday night football in the game, right? You got division North, NFC North battle between the Vikings and the Bears. Both teams looking to avenge some close losses the week prior. This one I see the pastronaut, Joshua Dobbs, using his legs to be the difference in this one. I expect the Vikings to win. You had some midweek international footy before teams or players returned to their domestic league. You had it hyped up. I hyped it up last episode. Canada and their big second uh, second leg of their CONCACAF Nations League fi- quarterfinal against Jamaica. And they were up 2-1, right? Things were looking good. And Canada was at home. They hadn't been beaten there in 2010. They couldn't score early. Blake made some big saves for Jamaica. But then Canada would finally score with when Alfonso Davies put them ahead. So they're up 3-1 to one on aggregate. Looking good, right? No, Shamar Nicholson would get a goal back for Jamaica. Casual passing in their own end by Canada just led them giving it up. And then four minutes later, Canada, while trying to attack, would give it up. And Jamaica would score on the counter. Nicholson again. So they were 3-3 on aggregate. And away goals had Jamaica advancing. So there'd be a third goal in a seven-minute period, this time for Canada. Kone would put one in from Davis, putting Canada up 4-3 on aggregate. And then, you know, Jamaica would put some pressure on late. Steven Estacchio's arm would get hit, giving Jamaica a penalty. Fulham player, Fulham player Bobby de Cordova Reed would come up, put it away, putting Jamaica equal on aggregate 4-4. And as I emphasized earlier, that away tiebreaker is huge. So Jamaica, that's how the game would end. Jamaica advanced to the semifinals in the Nations League where they'll meet the U.S. But more importantly, they get that spot in the Copa America tournament. Canada bows out of the Nations League, and they'll have to wait until March to see if they can even qualify for Copa America. Devastating loss for Canada footy, which appears to be on a rapid decline financially and off the pit and on the pitch. USA beat Trinidad and Tobago in their Nations League game. But the big news in that one was Serginho Dest oh, losing his mind and just picking the ball up and booting it. And he'd get two straight yellow cards, and his own teammates were yelling at him. Dest apologized, but Fulham player and U.S. captain Tim Ream said it was disrespectful to him and everyone on the team. But, hey, the U.S. are still got their Copa America spot. Panama beat up on Costa Rica to get their spot and advance in the Nations League. Then you had Mexico coming back and beating Honduras at home in penalties. So Mexico advances as well and get that Copa America spot. So, yeah, big games going on in March for teams trying to get into that Copa America tournament. You had World Cup qualifying. Argentina beat Brazil 1-0. And Nicolas Otamendi header would be the winner for Argentina, but... It's the first time Brazil ever lost at home for a World Cup qualifier. So big for them. And, like, this game barely even got going. There's huge fights breaking in the crowds between Argentina and Brazil fans. You had Brazil cops with batons just beating up everybody. There were players. Messi tried to break it up. Keeper Martinez trying to make it up. They were saying what the police was doing was the repression of Argentina fans once again in Brazil and that madness cannot be tolerated. This was after shit went down at the Copa Libertadores early in the month. So big shit happening all over there. And then you had the Euro 2024 qualifiers wrap up. Group plays concluded. 21 of the teams have been qualified. The top two teams of each group. Plus Germany has an automatic bid for hosting. So that's three spots up for grab. It's between 12 teams 
and like Canada's fates so that will be decided in March. But uh, yeah, we're going to the, the going to the leagues here. You had Premier League. They had a vote earlier in the week to see if uh, you know they could vote against banning loan moves on clubs that had the same owners. You know, like one instance they were bringing up was Al Hilal. We signed Ruben Neves from uh, Wolves, and they'd be able to loan them back to the Premier League, to Newcastle. And they're like, wait, both those teams, Al Hilal and Newcastle, are owned by the Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. So that's not really fair. So they tried to rush this vote, but it didn't pass. They needed uh, 14 teams to vote, and they only got 13. So seven teams were like, fuck it, we're cool with this. And it makes you wonder who. Like, I imagine Manchester City and Chelsea, they have multi-club models, but... Yeah, I don't know if they'll release that. And then you had some sad news. His former England manager, Terry Venables, passed away this past Saturday at the age of 80 after a long-term illness. So brutal news there. He had a, a really good game on the field between Manchester City and Liverpool, two of the top teams in England. Haaland would do what he does, score to put Man City up. And then with 10 minutes left in the match, Trent Alexander-Arnold would take a pass, and his second touch would go right in the corner, tying it at one, and that's just how the game would end. You know, teams splitting the point. Bournemouth would dominate on the road, taking a 3-1 win over Sheffield United. Nottingham Forest would uh, jump out on a quick start, but Brighton would turn that game around and win 3-2. Two yellow cards for Brighton's Lewis Dunk swung the game a bit, but Brighton were still able to hold on. Basement Dwellers, Burnley, hosted my West Ham, and these teams damn near have the same colors and kits. But anyway, Burnley jumped ahead when Jay Rodriguez would score a penalty four minutes into the second half. But like most of Burnley's season, the good times did not last. Kudos would put a lovely cross in the box, and Burnley would put it in their own net for an own goal. And then five minutes later, Thomas Suchek would convert another kudos cross, giving West Ham the 2-1 lead and eventual win. West Ham! And then, uh, yeah, Luton Town hosted Crystal Palace. Palace dominated possession. But Luton, Luton Town would get their first ever home Premier League win. It was tied. And then the 83rd minute, Jacob Brown put Luton Town ahead for good. Big win for the newly promoted club. Yeah, the Newcastle and Chelsea, the Jordy side, would go ahead in the 13th minute with Alexander Isaac. But then Chelsea would equalize when Raheem Sterling would put a beautiful Beautiful free kick right under the post where Nick Pope didn't even move. It's a very highly contested game until Newcastle would score two goals in 90 seconds. First LaSalle and then Jolinton off a bad giveaway from Thiago Silva. Then the 73rd, Reese James would get his second yellow for Chelsea and the captain would get removed. And then Anthony Gordon would add a fourth for uh, Newcastle, giving them the big win. Brentford and Arsenal, this, uh, not a lot of goals in this one. You get Kai Havertz getting a header in the 89th minute and That'd be the winner for Arsenal on the road. Big win for them. Everton and Man U, three minutes into the match, you'd have Garnacho scoring maybe the goal of the season already. Is it too early for that? Like, I don't know about that. But, man, what a goal. It's definitely worth looking up if you haven't seen it. And, uh, yeah, he'd do a Sue celebration just like uh, in the Eagles game when uh, – or, sorry, in the Ravens game when Flowers did it. So you have two celebrations in one day. None of them are by Ronaldo. Interesting. But, yeah, Martial would get brought down the box. It would be called a dive. It'd be, VAR would intervene. They'd get a penalty. Rashford would score before Martial would get a third later. So after all that, you have Arsenal – 
top of the league. Man City just behind them and Liverpool and Aston Villa right behind them. Tottenham was dropped out of the top four with their three straight losses. And they have Manchester United, Newcastle nipping right at their heels. So, yeah, EPL is still pretty wide open right now. Going to Germany for the Bundesliga. You had Bayern Munich opening up the week, winning a close 1-0 match over Köln. Bayern Leverkusen would continue their great play, beating Werder Bremen 3-0. Nice little birthday gift for manager Xabi Alonso. A wild one in Dortmund as the home side went down 2-0 after 28 minutes to Mönchengladbach. But then in the span of two minutes, it was all tied up in two. And then just for hat time, Dortmund would go ahead. Mönchengladbach would try to get an equalizer late, but they even bring their keeper up to try to get a goal. However, Dortmund would take the ball, counter, Daniel Mallon would get one of the easiest goals of his career as they win 4-2. to two. Stuttgart got a big win over Frankfurt. Wolfsburg, surprised with Leipzig they get home. And, uh, yeah, all the other fixtures ended in draws. So after 12 matches, Bayern Leverkusen still sit atop the, the Bundesliga. Last year's champions, Bayern Munich, just two points behind them. And you have Stuttgart and, du- Stuttgart and Dortmund rounding out the top four. In Spain, La Liga, Alves kicked the week off by beating Granada. Barcelona was dealt a tough blow before their match against Rayo Vallecano. It was announced that Gavi, a great midfielder, he's going to miss some time with an ACL injury he picked up while playing for Spain. And they were even in more shock when they went down 1-0 to Rayo Vallecano. You know, they're down at halftime. And then it wasn't until the 82nd minute when a dangerous cross into the box would get put in by a Vallecano defender, even equalizing the game, and that's how it ended, 1-1. Big, big surprise for Barcelona there. You'd have uh, Getafe, Atletico Madrid, Villarreal, Real Sociedad, Real Betis, and Real Madrid. They'd all win their games. Girona hosts Athletic Club to wrap up the games in Spain on Monday. And that's a big game because if Girona wins, they jump atop Real Madrid for top of the lead. If they draw, they'll be on the evil points, even points with Real Madrid. So big game for them. And then you have Atletico Madrid are in third and Barcelona are in fourth. In Italy, you had a little bit of surprise to match week 13. Lazio would earn a penalty just before halftime. Ciro Immobile would put them up. But then two second-half goals by Castanos and Candreva would put Salernitana up 2-1, and they'd hold on, finally getting their first win of the season. Inzaghi's first as Salernitana manager. So congrats to them getting that first one off the schneid. Um, other big matches in Italy, you had Napoli beating Atalanta, AC Milan beating Fiorentina, Frosinone beating Genoa, Roma beating Udinese, and it was a goal fest between Empoli and Sassuolo. Em- Empoli equalized in the 86th minute at 3-3, but Sassuolo would get a stoppage time penalty and Berardi would put it away, giving Sassuolo the big win. But the biggest match of the weekend was Juventus and Inter Milan. The home side went ahead in the 27th minute. That lead would only last six minutes when Latoro Martinez would equalize. Inter Milan had most of the possession, but it would end in a 1-1 draw. No handshakes between the managers on this one either. They each just, they met, they took off. There's still two games we played on Monday, Verona and Lecce and Bologna and Torino. And those don't affect the top of the league. So we have Inter Milan leading Syria, defending champs. They have a two-point lead over second place Juventus, AC Milan, and, oh, sorry, defending champs Napoli. So our Inter Milan were not defending champs Napoli were, and they are in fourth. <laughs> in League One, you got the French League, and you had uh, two big teams to start the week. PSG would dismantle Monaco, though, 5-2. Five different scores for the Parisian side. Lons would beat up on Clermont Foot. 
Uh, nice would take down Toulouse. Poor Leon would drop another one at home. This time to Lille, who got goals from Canadian Jonathan David and Thiago Santos. They won 2-0. Brestois, Metz, and Rennes would all pick up wins. Other games ended in draws. So after 13 matches in France, PSG sit atop the league. Nice are a point behind them in second, and Monaco and Lille round out the top four. Lyon still struggling in the bottom of League One. We go to hockey. Good things going down in the NHL. A few teams have jumped up in the standings a bit uh, due to their great play. The Jets have been really hot. They just uh, they did lose to an, another hot team, the Nashville Predators, but Jets are 8-2 and two in their last 10 and look to be trending in the right direction. I mentioned the Preds there. They had a bit of a rough start to the season, but they're riding a five-game winning streak of their own. Another team on a five-game winning streak, the LA Kings. They've been hot of late. And uh, they've two games in hand on the Knights, and they're only two points behind them in the standings. Vancouver's right in that mix as well on the Pacific. The Oilers are still trying to find themselves under their new coach. They've been lighting the lamp a lot lately. The last two games, they didn't actually give up a ton of goals, but leading up to that, they were letting in a lot of goals. They need to nip that in the bud to keep this winning trend going. Avalanche lead the Central Division, riding a nice three-game winning streak. Out east, the Rangers look to be leaders in the Metropolitan. They've been playing some really good hockey. It's pretty crazy how the rest of that division is. The next six teams are only separated by five points. And then the Bruins, much like the Rangers, are the cream of the crop in their division. And the Atlantic's just as close. You have six teams only separated by five points in the standings. So a lot of parity out east there. If you just go on a run, you can really separate yourself here. Um, We have a new points leader this week. Tampa Bay's Nikita Kucherov now leads the league in scoring with 35 points. Uh, He also shares the goals lead with Vancouver Canucks. Brock Bozer at 15 goals. Kyle O'Connor of the Jets and Toronto's Austin Matthews just behind them at 14. Golden Knights goaltender Aiden Hill now leads the league in goals against and save percentage. And Chicago Blackhawks, you know, Connor Bedard leads the league in Rookie points and rookie goals. We go to back to some football here in college. There's some massive games going down. The biggest of the biggest. The Big Ten showdown between Ohio State and Michigan. Close game, but the Wolverines went at home, remaining undefeated while crushing the spirits of the Buckeyes, just like they like doing to their rival. <laughs> the most exciting game of the week was probably the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn. Looked like Auburn had it. Alabama would have to go for it on fourth and goal from the 31-yard line. Jalen Milrow would hit Isaiah Bond, James, or Isaiah Bond, on a ridiculous touchdown pass to give Alabama the improbable win. What a win. That was crazy. Florida State had a bit of a scare, but remained undefeated, beating Florida. Sticking with the trend in undefeated Washington, won a squeaker against Washington State. Kentucky won a close one against rivals Louisville. The number one team in the country, Georgia, only won by one possession over Georgia Tech. And the early season darlings, Colorado, they lose their last game of the season to Utah. Kind of a brutal ending to a nice Hollywood start for Deion Sanders' Colorado team. They only won one one game last year, though, and they bumped that up to four. A little bit of improvement, but they got to do a lot more going next year. But, hey, I... Brought some hype that the University of Colorado hasn't been done in a while. I mean, the basketball teams are looking pretty good this year, especially the women's team, but tough go for Dion. Um, coach of Indiana, Tom Allen, was let go from Indiana on a $20 million buyout. So not a bad way to go, I guess. And next week you got some big games, college football, some championships, Oregon and Washington in the last ever Pac-12 championship, Oklahoma State and Texas in the Big 12. 
Georgia, Alabama in the SEC, Michigan, Iowa, Big Ten, SMU and Tulane in the ACC, Louisville and Florida State in the ACC. So conference titles on the line here, NCAA championship spots, like playoff spots on the line. Out of those games I mentioned, I'm going with Washington, Texas, Georgia, Michigan, Tulane, and Florida State. Sticking with college, we'll go to basketball. There's some Maui International Tournament play. That would be a cool tournament to play and just go to Hawaii to play some hoops. Uh, <laughs> Purdue would have a nice double-double from Zach Eady and their big win over Tennessee. It was a really good Tennessee team. A lot of people are hyping them up. You get a matchup of two potential champion teams again. Marquette, they surprised Kansas, giving the number one team their first loss of the season, which set up a really cool third-place tournament game between uh, Kansas and Tennessee. Hunter Dickinson bounced back for Kansas, going for 17-20, and because they'd get that win. But you'd have a final between Purdue and Marquette. Like I said, two teams with championship aspirations. And again, Canadian Zach Eady looked the man. 28 points, 15 boards. Look great. Arizona looked great, beat Michigan State. USC would beat Seton Hall before dropping the Oklahoma. It's good to see Bronny James has been kind of working out with the team again. It'll be nice to see him back. North Carolina would lose a close on the Villanova, but bounce back against Arkansas. Florida Atlantic, last year's darling team, had three big wins this past week against Butler, Texas A&M, and Virginia Tech. So, yeah, some really good undefeated teams left out there. Purdue, Arizona, UConn, Houston, Miami, Baylor, James Madison. Man, they've had a good year in sports. And Mississippi State, a lot of good hoops going on in college. And the women's game, kind of brutal news for UConn. AZ Fudd, she's going to miss the rest of the 2023-24 season with an ACL and meniscal tear. She picked it up last week, and they were waiting for the swelling to go down to do the test. But you got to feel for it, you know. She missed most of last season with a right injury, and prior to coming UConn, she had a torn ACL and MCL in the same knee, so ugh, just brutal. But on the court, there have been some great basketball. South Carolina continue to dominate as they're the number one team in the country. Some others that are undefeated, UCLA, Stanford, USC, NC State, Texas, and like the men's side, Mississippi State. NC State's got no love coming in the season. They're 7 0 after previously after dispatching previously undefeated Colorado. North Carolina struggled with back to back losses against Kansas State and Florida Gulf Coast. Didn't see that one. Caitlin Clark continued to do her things with Iowa's big wins. Still a lot of questions coming out of LSU. Like, where is Angel Reese right now? So they're still being hush hush on the matter. Anisa Murrow filled in great for though. For Reese, though, she went for 37 and 16 in a big win over Virginia. So, yeah, lots of good stuff going in college hoops. And Stanford's Cameron Brink, I mentioned her last episode. She's been still doing great. Just a lot of good players out there. And with NIL, you kind of see them more. Go to F1. The last race of the F1 season went down over the weekend. The Abu Dhabi GP. Who do you think won? <laughs> Max Verstappen, 19th win of the season. Unreal. Total dominance. Charles Leclerc and George Russell would round out the podium, but Verstappen, unreal. He finished 575 points on the season. Second place, Sergio Perez, 285. That is ridiculous. Lewis Hamilton would finish in third, so kudos to Hamilton in a down year. Red Bull obviously took the Constructor Championship, but Mercedes, even with a down year, took second place. And it was tight. They had 409, Ferrari 406. So the fact Carlos Sainz did not finish this race, massive ramifications for the Constructors. And, like, these are millions of dollars that are changed by these standings. So 
really big for me for Mercedes to do that. But that's it for F1. I'm hoping next season we get a little more parity. We don't have Max winning the title so early. It would make for these last races a little more exciting, you know? But uh, that's the wild week in sports that was, which brings us to our short. In this short, I was mentioning it earlier, my wife hadn't heard this story from me yet, which was surprising because I feel like I spout off stories even when no one's around. But this one goes back to, like, grade 7 or grade 8, a little young run city. You know, sometimes with our buddies and warming, you go to the arena to watch some minor hockey, you know, people your own age, see what's up. And there'd always be chirping, as there is in hockey arenas. It's kind of kind of goes with the territory and you know we get intense at times and i'm not usually a shit disturber but i'm usually one to keep the pace but this night i don't know i was ready to chat my shit Mm. for some reason i was kind of following this guy outside to his car talking shit the whole time and he's like where's your beef and i for some reason started yelling oh where's the beef you calling me fat and all this shit and uh, i don't know why i reacted like that i don't know i'm not really triggered by fat it's kind of my thing but uh, <laughs> he's in his car now, and he went to reverse and swing his front end, which clipped my knee, and I kind of, like, fell forward. And I le- I know, I just got up and started running. He sped off. And then I was like, I don't know, I was just kind of freaked from getting clipped, and the adrenaline just had me sprint away. I guess that's what deer do on the highway. I was a deer in the parking lot. But anyway, I checked myself up. I looked okay. I had a bit of scrape from where he hit me and I were I think the scrape was more after I got hit and I landed on the ground <clears throat> excuse me because it wasn't that bad so I went back to the scene and like there were a bunch of people around now because this guy sped off but on the way he hit that car right so now owner of the car comes out RCMP's involved because that's what's out in Mormon they don't have like city cops or anything so, yeah, I give a statement to the police. I had to go down to the dispatch. My parents were like, what the fuck? I thought you were going to go watch hockey. And, like, yeah, I was scared shitless going to give that statement. I wasn't even a pot or anything. I was still a young kid, right? I wasn't into that yet. But, yeah, I was scared. I don't know. It was the first time I ever had to do that. But, uh, yeah, my side of things, it was pretty minor. I'm like, yeah, I don't need to press charges or anything. I just let me go home. <laughs> really, you know, bad, badass guy. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a different scene. And maybe that's why I don't chat, chat a lot of shit. You know, it's like the one time I did, I got clipped by a car. But I think I've chatted shit a few more times before that. But, anyway, I digress. That's episode 38 in the books, y'all. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for coming along for the ride again. It was a crazy Thanksgiving week in sports. Lots of good stuff coming from it. Champions League is back this upcoming week. Got some good basketball, some good college basketball. If you're like, dude, where's the NBA? Where's the NBA beef? Well, I have way too much NBA shit piled up throughout a week, so I do my own little NBA recaps each week. You can find it on my page, Hollow. But, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming out, guys. It's uh, It's been a fun one. If you chat shit, don't get clipped by a car. But other than that, enjoy the great sport week. Uh, enjoy the week, guys. Take care. Thanks for coming out. Ren City out.